passages out of Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24, we we'll reading from the New International Version. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Toward God for all people. Thank you, God. So this morning, I, when, I, when I first looked at this passage, the thing that struck me is that it's one of those passages that makes you hesitate when you look at it. When we start to go, okay, I want to follow Jesus, oh, wait a minute. Pick up my cross. That's kind of big. Let me think about that. But it's clear, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's kind of a strange statement from someone whose goal would would be to gain billions of followers. But maybe that's because that really wasn't his goal. I don't think he was concerned about the number of followers, but the quality of them. I think that's why he gave such strong messages to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the church leaders of his time. They had become more interested in the trappings of religion and the living out of their faith. They looked good on the outside, but their hearts had long ago turned from God in the name of God, which is an interesting dynamic. To turn from God in the name of God. But it's a challenge for us, even today. See, in their world, God was more interested in everyone doing the right religious practice in the right religious place at the right religious time. That's how they, they, they viewed it. That's how the scribes would view it. The Sadducees would view it. But in Jesus' world, people, people were more important than the place or the time. Don't get me wrong, Jesus desires heart change. It's what he was all about. Life change. And I continue to say that if you encounter the living God, there is no choice but to come out of that encounter change. You cannot encounter Christ and not be changed by that encounter. But I think he desires something he tried to get across to them and continues to come across to us is Try to keep it a little more simple. When you look at the cross, then you see love God in the vertical being. And you see love your neighbor in the crossbar. In the cross. Whenever we look at that, it should remind us of the two great commandments to love God and love our neighbor. See, he knew that if we get that part right, if we get that right, those other things are going to line up. They're going to fall into place if we're able to love God and love our neighbor. So you could say that the Pharisees simply focused in the wrong place. And you'd be right. They focused in the wrong place. But it continues to be an issue. There's a gentleman named Soren Kierkegaard. I know that's a, a mouthful. Got to try and spell it. Um, he said this. this is, he's a theologian from a few centuries ago. Said I went into church and sat on the velvet pew. I watched as the sun came shining through the stained glass windows. The minister dressed.
dressed in a velvet robe, opened the golden gilded Bible, marked it with a silk bookmark, and said, If any man will be my disciple, said Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, sell what he has, give it to the poor, and follow me. They've been wrestling with this for a long time in the church. Simple truth is that Jesus asks of us sacrifice. He asks of us to take up our cross and follow. It's a big part of what it means to live out our Christianity in a meaningful way. And it leaves room for all of us in our uniqueness. Because my cross and your cross and your cross and your are not the same. It's not the same. So what is your cross? Your cross is that thing that you deal with when you're dying to your old life. The thing that keeps cropping up, keeps getting in your way. You keep seeking Jesus and it keeps coming trying to pull you away from Christ. Could be a burden in your life. Could be taking care of a sick human. Sick child, sick parents. Taking care of your brothers and sisters because both your parents have to work. We all have crosses in our life. Here's the thing if you continue to hang on to your own self interest and you seek to follow Jesus, you'll never be able to fulfill the call in your life that He has for you. In Revelation, it talks about a lukewarm church and it is better to be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. Preached last year about Samson and one hand in the world and one hand on God doesn't work. You have to be all in for God. It's tough because Jesus does have a call for you and for me in our lives. Let me revisit this verse. Two different translations. This is the New Living Translation. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just out of the message. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me leave. Hear that? Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me leave. Jesus speaking, not Mike. Let me leave. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's my way. To saving yourself, your true self, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Wow. Now I've been sick for, seems like forever. I'm not embracing that. And yet scripture says that, you know, it's okay, Mike, run to it, it's all right. Not meant it for you. I don't like it. Don't want it. 
Self-sacrifice is not something that I, without very intentionally understanding what I'm called to, I'm not going to naturally choose pain over not pain, right? Self-sacrifice, self-denial. It's, it's, it's the call of Christianity, but it's, I think we sometimes make it really, really difficult. I'm going to get at that. So this self-sacrifice and self-denial is going to look different for each of us. See, when we love our neighbor, we move out of our self-focus into a focus that benefits others and shows the love that we've been given. All we're really doing is taking the love that Christ gives us and we're giving it to somebody else. Is anybody here glad about grace? That, that grace has been extended to you? Yeah, because we messed up, amen? Okay, I messed up. I, you know, so, so when I mess up, I'm so grateful that God is a forgiving and, and a graceful God. And he wants me to keep striving to do right. To do right. But, but he has grace extended to me and to you. And when I move out of that self-focus into a focus that has me not focusing so much on my stuff, and then I can help others and into the lives of other people, it puts me closer to Christ because that is his example. He came here. He, he didn't have to come here. He's God. He didn't have to do any of it. He chose it for you and for me. He chose it. Millie, for you. Loved you right where you are right now. Jesus Christ loves you. Came to die for you and for me. Didn't have to do any of that. But did. His focus wasn't on what's in it for me. It's on how can I help other people? How can I reach other people? And when we're right as a church, we are really good at that. We are really good at loving one another and lifting one another up. But when we're faced with the prospect of sacrifice in a world that's more focused on personal glorification, we tend to have that hesitation I'm talking about. You want me to give stuff up? But wait a minute. All my friends are doing this. So we hesitate. Before we all in, before we answer it, when he calls our name, if he calls Mary's name, it's too. We hesitate. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What do you think about when you think about your life? The physical life, right? We're going to live, then we're going to die. So far, the mortality rate is really high. It's like 100%. <coughs> Everybody's going to die, right? But life is so much more than that. We can be bound up in that. We can be afraid of, uh, of the end. It's going to come when it comes. So, so, you know, we don't need to rush to it. We don't need to run from it. It's going to be what it's going to be. But life is more than that. It goes beyond the physical. It becomes about meaning. When we're living life, we're making a difference in our world in the world that we're involved in, the world around us. We are each significant, and we are each insignificant. When we look at the vast universe, we're not too significant in that, but when we look at our circle of family and friends, we have significance. Don't let the enemy take that from you. You have significance in your life. 
You can make a difference in the life, in your life and the lives of others. God wants you to make a difference in, in your life and the lives of others. Well, he gives you the opportunities that he does. Life encompasses way more than just us. Jesus knew that. His life is an example for us to follow when we follow it. And, and we become more and more giving and lives become touched and deep. It's exponential. It's exponential. You know the, the passage that says he stands at the door knocking, right? Thank you, stand at the door knocking, hoping that will come through so that he can show us how to reach in and help others and to, that he wants us to walk into that, that non-self-focus, non-self-glorification, into God-glorification and into reaching into, into lives of others so that when, when God asks us that question that he's going to ask us about what we did with the poor and what we did with the widows and what we did with the orphans and what we did with the prisoners, we can answer it. Say, I was there and I helped. Well done. Whenever you do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. We're gonna, we, we have that to face it at, at the end. What are we doing? What are we doing? Many of us in here are doing much. Some Maybe not. I'm not here to condemn you. Convict me. But when we look at all of this, this self-denial, this losing our life, taking up our cross, it naturally causes us to hesitate. To think about it. I hope it does, because we need to think about it. We need, to not, we need to figure this out. Am I going to really go all in for Jesus? Am I really going to follow Christ wherever he says to go? When he says go here, am I really going to do that? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's a lot at stake. You know I'm not a fire and brimstone guy, but never, please never misunderstand. There's a lot at stake. We will one day stand before the judge. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We can be like the rich young ruler who followed the law and followed uh, all the, the right rules, did all the right stuff, and then Jesus said, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor and follow me, and he went away sad. We can be like him. Continue to seek to maintain our welfare even though we can't, basically. We can be like the celebrities in our current culture, doing whatever we can to maintain our faith. Lord knows there's a lot of stuff going on right now. We can be so wrapped up in a career that it becomes our whole world. What would anyone give in exchange for their soul? Would you give your job in exchange for your soul? People do. 
You know, we can even become so religious that being right means more than being gracious, that doctrine overcomes love and that religion becomes our world. We can be so religious that we lose God. We can forfeit our souls to many things in the world. Lots of folks are going to do that. Pray none of us do. I pray I don't. The temptation is out there. But we can also respond. We can respond to what Christ is calling us to. Seek not to gain the whole world for ourselves, but to impact our personal world for Him. You go, who are we? Who am I? I mean, how can I impact somebody's world? I love the Bible. And I love the stories of the Bible. I love that the heroes of the Bible aren't perfect. Moses kills a guy, gets exiled from Egypt, becomes a shepherd. Who is he? To go save an entire people from Egypt. Who was who was Moses? He wasn't nobody. Noah, minding his own business, builds an ark. What's an ark? It's gonna rain. What's rain? Who was Noah? He's just living his life. He wasn't that special. Peter, impulsive Peter. He was a fisherman, an impulsive fisherman, who got angry, dropping the hat, cut the guy's ear off. Jesus puts it back. Who were they? They're not special. Thank you, Jesus, for them. Because I'm not special either. But I know that God can use anybody. He can use me, he can use you. And he will. But it's not about us changing the world. A couple of weeks ago, I used this quote from Henry Black. It's been just grinding in my brain, so I'm going to bring it back. You never find God asking persons to dream up what they want to do for Him. Without doubt, the most important factor in each biblical situation was not what the individual wanted to do for God. The most important factor was what God was about to do. You know what made Moses special? God was about to, to, to free the, the Israelites from Egypt, and He tapped Moses. You know what made Noah special? God was about to, to flood the earth, and, and He tapped Noah to build the ark for all the animals. No special about Peter. God was God was sent, had sent his son. And, and Peter, impulsive as he was, also had great faith. And, and God was, was going to grab Peter and use him to be an example to build his church upon that stone. Peter, the rock. What made him special was God moved and he, and he grabbed him. You know what will make us special? God moves and he grabs us. See, when God moves, we move with it. And, and it's not always some huge thing. In fact, it's not usually. Sometimes, sometimes Kelly, just being the best mom that you can be. You be the best mom to those, to, to those kids that you can be. And, it, and God will take that and he'll touch their lives. And who knows what other lives are going to be touched. Being the best sister mom that you can be. You've got some rambunctious sisters. <laughs> 
But you be the best sister that you can be. That's picking up your cross and following him. And, and you live that out and you let God work through you into their lives and watch what they do. And each of us has that story. It's, it's letting God in. It's being the best mom that we can be, the best dad that we can be, the best grandparent that we can be. It's not always fireworks. Sometimes it's really, really simple. Sometimes it's saying grace at a restaurant over a meal. And you may not know that somebody on the other side was, was depressed and down and not knowing what to do. And they looked over and they saw somebody saying grace over a meal and it reminded them that God is with them. You don't know. God moves. God moves. Maybe if you pray for someone who's hurting, you don't. That you, you hear a story and you don't go, I'll pray for you later. You say, hey, can I pray for you? Let's pray now. Let's not put it up. Let's pray now. God in the moment. It doesn't have to seem world changing. But it just might be. I'll tell you a story about a guy. Now, here's, here's his words. In January 1850, a snowstorm forced me to cut short an intended journey and turn into a primitive Methodist chapel in Colchester. The minister didn't come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. When he managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow struck right home, and he continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hand, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I'd been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. This young man who was traveling was a gentleman named Charles Spurgeon, who became, uh, he, he touched tens of thousands of lives because a tailor or somebody showed up in a church and didn't know any better. See, I'm not, we're not supposed to call on y'all when you're up here, right? I'm not supposed to go. Hey, you've been miserable, Sam. Two by four, he can say. Charles Spurgeon, he became one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. Tens of thousands of lives were impacted. 
I guarantee that guy didn't go to that church that morning going, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to deliver a message. And tens of thousands of people are going to be impacted by it. That did not happen. I, I've been in that seat before where, where somebody doesn't show up and you end up speaking. What you're doing is going, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. That's what, that's what you're doing. You don't have the answer. You're like, I don't know what to do. Charles Spurgeon, look him up. Great evangelist. Small thing. Small thing. And then training the laborers with a message that reached one man and reached ten thousand. That's how it's done. You show up. Where do you start, though, right? How do you start this? Well, first thing you do is probably keep it simple. Ellie Wiesel was a concentration camp survivor. And he had this grand idea that he was going to impact a lot of people. So he said this. He said, where do I start? The world is so vast. How can I impact the world? Well, I know I'll start with my country. I know it best. But my country is so large. I better start with my town. I better start with my town. But my town, too, is really big. So I better start with my street. No, my home. No, I'll start with my family. You know what? I'll start with myself. And that's where we start. It starts with us. What are you doing to engage with this living God that wants to be a part of your life? Wants to be with you every step of the way. We prepare ourselves by showing up. We show up to church on a Sunday morning because we don't know who's going to need whose touch on a Sunday morning. Somebody may need your smile one day. If you're not here, they may not get you. But we show up to church on Sunday morning for the fellowship, for the message, for, for, for God. We celebrate what God is hope. Coming together on Sunday, we celebrate what God is doing in our lives, in us and through us. We're active in prayer. We're active and study scripture. Study the, the founding fathers and, and learn as much as you can from those who have gone before. Those who are who, who are who are learning learning now. Study. Prayer. We practice generosity and hospitality. Welcome to the kingdom. We want people to come to the kingdom. We want people to come and get to know who this God of ours is. We engage in service. Because that's where God would have us to be. God would have us to be involved in the lives of others. I know that for a fact. That is clear in Scripture. It's clear in my heart. Probably clear. Anybody who has ever served is clear as well. God works through service, not just to impact another, but to impact us. That's what He does. Who He is. We can focus on away from ourselves and into the lives of others. So I pray that we're willing to do that, to go wherever he leads. How cool would it be if, if, if it were both friends, look to Jesus Christ, look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look. 